Welcome to Oikos. We're glad that you're with us this morning. We're continuing the series, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, as we... Oh, hey, Levi, let me take care of this. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. This is summer vacation, guys, so we're relaxed this morning. No need to get crazy. Um, should I stay or should I go? As we continue in Acts, we're in Acts chapter 15. We're going to really pull into Scripture this morning, so if you've got Bibles, go ahead and open them up, because instead of reading through the verse like I normally do and then come back and just hit some points, we're going to be kind of working through this together. So Acts chapter 15, go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you're not so sure about the Bible, that's okay. You'll find Acts towards the end. It's in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Luke. He was Luke the Apostle. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a great historian. And so when we look at what he has written, a lot of the things that people said, oh, no, that didn't happen, when they actually started to dig things up and they uh, were looking for ways to disprove his authenticity, they actually found that Luke was awesome. Um, every detail that they've dug up has been validated. So as we read through this, don't look at this story as, oh, you know, it's just this guy writing some things. He was trying to accurately write down the history of the church. And so he meticulously looked at each little story and made sure it came into a whole story of Acts, showing how the Holy Spirit moved through people, just a small group of people at first, and then a larger group and a larger group, and then how it just began to spread throughout the known world. And so right now, Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey, and we're in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So to just kind of give you an idea, Paul and Barnabas are out Paul has gone through a huge experience where Jesus confronted him and said, you are not going to be against my church anymore. Instead, you're going to be working for me. And his name was Saul, and because of this great conversion, his name changed to Paul. And Paul began preaching about Jesus and starting new churches through all these areas of the known world. One of these were Antioch. So this was dear to Paul's heart that he wanted to start new churches. He wanted to make sure people heard about the gospel of Jesus, that no longer did we have to be under slavery, but instead we were free. We were free to walk with Jesus. We're free from our sin. We had a future because of Jesus. But then from Judea, this is like the central headquarters of the church. So just think about that. Some central headquarters send some people. Maybe they walk right into Oikos, and they begin saying, well, um, I know like Aaron's been telling you, that's only Jesus that you need. But guys, you got to either get circumcised or reverse your circumcision. Would that be awesome? So... It's not a, it's kind of a painful thing, right? But beyond that, Paul and Barnabas, we see in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehement, vehemently. It wasn't just because it was a painful thing. 
physically. It wasn't just because it pushed push a little hardship on. It was because they were changing gospel. Now, instead of saying, no, it's, Je- it's only Jesus, these leaders who came with authority began saying, it's Jesus plus. So, Jesus is good, but you need to do this too. And Paul and Barnabas couldn't stand for that. They disagreed with them hugely because they wanted people to know Jesus. They wanted them to know the gospel, the freedom in that, instead of another law or regulation. So they began to argue, not just kind of small argument, but this is probably ready to fight argument. That's that whole Greek word, vehemently. Um, They were not going to just kind of go with this and say, let's correct this gently. This was going to be a full-on kind of get out of here argument. And to kind of understand why they were so upset, we got to look at the letter to the Galatians. Galatians was a letter written by Paul. Galatia was in this province, is one of the provinces that he had started a church. And the letter that he wrote, we see it as the book of Galatians. It's also in the New Testament, comes after Acts. He wrote this to the Galatians, but he meant it to be a circulating letter. So it should travel to Antioch. It should travel to these other places. And he was writing about a threat that was hitting the church. And the threat was coming from a group of people called the Judaizers. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. He writes, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Why this is significant is because the Judaizers, in a sense, were trying to do a good thing. Now, if you're an uncircumcised male, you probably wouldn't have thought it was a good thing that they were pushing this. But what they're trying to do is make peace. The movement of Christianity started with the Jews. All the Jews were circumcised. And it was a point of conflict because this was such a huge thing for them that it was a sign. It was a sign that you were with God if you were circumcised. You were a part of his family if you were circumcised. And if you were circumcised, your whole family was a part of God's family. Circumcision in the Old Testament connects directly to baptism in the New Testament. So when Jesus said, be baptized, he was saying the same thing that the Old Testament said when they said, be circumcised. But instead, he's saying, be baptized into this new family, this new order. Let my name be upon you. 
So the Judaizers, they were so concerned about a visible outward sign because it was causing conflict. So it's logical, right? If everyone gets circumcised, we don't have that problem. So even though it's Jesus plus, it will solve a problem. So is that a big deal? To Paul, it was. Because it began to twist the gospel into something else. And once you start twisting the gospel and say, well, you're saved, but you need this, then it won't just be circumcision. It'll be something else as well. It won't just be circumcision and that something else will be something else. In fact, that's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. They were given 10 commandments. They were given the Levitical law. And then the priests began to make their own laws, added on to those laws so that you wouldn't break those laws. And pretty soon they had so many laws, it was hard to know what you should or shouldn't do. What they were doing is returning back to what they had been freed from. Jesus would be your savior, but not totally. You'd have to do this, and then this, and then this, and then this. So it continues in chapter 3 of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has, cast, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Now, it's easy for us to kind of look at this in a historical sense and go, oh, yeah, we don't do that. But the truth is we actually do. Whenever we go, well, I probably should do this because that will make God happy. Or I kind of screwed up here, so if I do this, that will kind of make up that screw up. Have you ever done that? Like, I kind of screwed up, so now I'm going to be like a good person to, I'm going to be really good to Christy. Um, that will make up for my other screw up. Maybe it's just me. I mean, I'm, I'll confess, I've done it. I, I sin, and then I go, oh, I better do something good. <laughs> and then I'll make it up. But what I'm trying to do is seek the approval not from God, because I've already got his approval through the work of Christ. What I'm doing is I'm adding to the gospel. I'm trying to work out my salvation by my own work rather than letting it rest on the work of Christ. He already knows we're screw-ups. Jesus knows that. And just in case he didn't know that, he knows that. He knows that you're a screw-up. He knows that you're a screw-up. He knows that you're a screw-up. And you're a really nice person, but you're still a screw-up. <laughs> but Jesus looks at you and he says, it doesn't matter. I came to this earth not so that you could try to make it up. I came 
because I wanted to be with you forever. I wanted to be able to grant you an open door to my Father's kingdom because being with him is awesome. And you're going to lose that screw-up stuff. You're going to leave that behind eventually. But right now you're in attention where you're a screw-up, but you're also perfect in the eyes of my Father. And no one can change it. The gospel is true. And so he's talking to the Galatians in this letter saying, when did you lose that message? Why did you let that go? Why did you let that be twisted? Because it's causing you to act differently now. It's causing you to question the gospel that was given. And when you start to question, you start to doubt. And when you start to doubt, you begin to have fear. And when you begin to have fear, you lose sight of Jesus. And that's why they vehemently, vehemently opposed another gospel that was not a gospel being brought into this community. So in Acts chapter 15, verse 2, they say, Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. When I read this, I thought, how frustrating is that? Here you are, you've devoted your life to telling people about Jesus, you've been all over, you've started all these churches, Paul's actually doing a lot of great stuff. So is Barnabas. They're seen as leaders, and yet this church that you started tells you, well, we're not totally sure you're correct. So why don't you go down to Jerusalem to make sure that you're correct? That'd be like you guys going, you know, Aaron, I'm not sure you're really correct. So why don't you head up to St. Louis? Most of you don't even know our headquarters is in St. But why don't you head up to St. Louis and talk to the, you know, some profs up at the seminary again. See if you're correct. Whew. Talk about humble pie. I think it'd be so frustrating for Paul and Barnabas to say, you know, not only are we going to have to eat that humble pie, but there's a real danger here. They didn't ask all the Judaizers to leave and go. So in a sense, I'm going to depart, not just for, you know, a couple days, because it's not like you could jump on a plane and fly. But I'm going to depart for a while, a month, two months. And I'm going to leave you in the hands of people that have already been corrupted so that we can fight this problem in the church. It's a huge step of leadership of Paul here, realizing that he was going to have to entrust them to someone that he had discipled that wasn't messed up in the gospel and leave for a few months to go fight this problem because not was it only occurring here in Corneth, it was occurring throughout this region. And if they didn't stop it now, the gospel of Jesus was going to be lost. It was huge implications for the future of the church. And so they had to decide, should they stay or should they go? The same problem occurred later on in the history of the church and occurred in the Reformation. Martin Luther had the same question. Do I stay with the Catholic church and try to reform it? Or do I have to take a stand and say, I have to go? And in a sense, he said, I will stay. 
The Catholic Church said, you will go. <laughs> and then they were like, and not only will you go, but we're going to try to kill you. But Luther said, we have got to stop twisting the gospel. You can't send people to go pay for their sins so that they can be forgiven, so that you can fund your next cathedral. You can't do that anymore. That's not the gospel. You can't tell people that they need to pray to this person and this person and this person when Jesus has said, come to me. You had corrupted the gospel. The church had been, become corrupted. The gospel was being lost. And so in the Reformation, they took a stand. They said, we can't do this anymore. It's only Jesus. It's only by faith. Solo, sola fide. Only by faith. And so, Paul, Martin, they made a choice. We have to go. We have to take a risk, and we have to go. The question I had as I was going through this is, what are some of the critical issues that we face now? We talked about 2,000 years ago. We talked about 500 years ago. But what are we doing now? Where are we corrupting the gospel? For some of us, our church has connected salvation to membership. If you're a member of a church, then you're good. In fact, I've had people sometimes go crazy because where's my membership going to be? It's a central issue. And it's not, you know, you may go, well, I don't, you know, what is that? Maybe Oikos hasn't really pushed that. But for some churches, if the membership, if you don't have membership there, you've basically just been denied any future wedding, any burial, because you're not connected to a church. Membership is a huge thing in the United States. It's bean counting. It's saying we're a church of 2,000 members or we're a church of 10,000 members. And what has happened, what has occurred, is this twist of the Gospels. Once I become a member, I'm good. My life with Jesus can end, in a sense. Because I got membership. Some say that, well, you have to worship a certain way. And I'll tell you, this happens not only on a side of playing the organ, and very liturgical sense of worship, very from 500 years ago is when that really developed. It also occurs on the side of where we fall, where you have a band and it's a little looser, that people begin to say, well, that's not really, you're not really worshiping. Whenever you hear someone say, you're not really worshiping, They've just said that Jesus isn't enough. That there has to be a certain form, a certain way of worship, or you won't be saved. That's the same issue that they're dealing with with circumcision. You may feel like that's a big reach, but it's the same thing. 
Whenever you add something to the gospel, whenever you say you have to do this or you will not be saved, beyond believing in Jesus, you just added something and you just begun to twist the gospel. So what things in your own life have you put in front of Christ? Where do you look at people and maybe say, well, you need to do this before you can be welcomed in the kingdom? What triggers tell you, I'm not sure they're worth Jesus? Now, when I say that, I can imagine you're thinking, well, I don't ever say that. That is so not Christian. Everybody's worth Jesus. But let's just throw this out there. Um, A sex offender. Are they worth Jesus? What about a person that murders someone? sent to prison for a lifetime, are they worth it? Those are harder questions, aren't they? Especially if it has direct impact in your family. Some of you may know someone who's hurt your family as in prison right now. Is that person worth Jesus? What about people with tattoos? They work Jesus? I'll tell you, some people go, nope, that person has just become corrupted by Satan himself. (laughs) I've heard it. And then I go, I hope it's not showing. (laughs) The elder at Cross Point, when I became ordained, put it on there, but whatever. Sorry, I got a tattoo. What about people who wear jeans to worship? I have been directly told sometimes that that's a direct ticket to hell. (laughs) That you can't be a part of church and wear jeans. That's just not right. What about lawyers? Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) That sometimes it's your profession. What about a stripper? It gets harder, doesn't it? Are they worth Jesus? What makes you pause? What kind of judgments do you have with believers? What about a believer who doesn't give, doesn't tithe? That can never be connected to salvation. Jesus never said, believe and then give and you'll be saved. What Jesus actually said is believe, and then you'll want to give. Believe, and you'll want to live a different life. Believe, and you'll do things differently. Believe because you just got freedom of eternal life with me. Now act like you believe. That's what belief in Jesus is all about. It's a change that comes over us and we begin doing things that people go, that sounds ridiculous. Why would you give 10% away? People look at Sarah and I and they go, maybe you should be saving some money because you have a lot of kids. <laughs> and I'll tell you, we could save, we could save a lot if we didn't give. 
but we've never been as blessed. I, I pray, but I also believe 100% that even when they're in college, <laughs> I'll say the same thing. We are blessed, not because we hoarded. We are blessed because we, we lived with open hands. But it can't be connected to salvation. Otherwise, I start going, well, maybe if I give 25%, God won't remember that sin. That's not good way of giving. That becomes then an obligation. You can't go mess up and be a screw up and then go, I'm going to give $100 today at church because I've never given before. And now I'll make it up. No, Jesus made it up. He gave me freedom to live not in obligation, but in freedom. We should be really proud of some guys who are in prison right now. About 20 years ago, and this, the worst prison in the United States, it was in Louisiana, this other crazy guy, he was a Baptist. No, this is not a slam. He was a Baptist who said, these lifers, these guys with lifetime sentences are worth it. They need to hear about Jesus. They have been thrown into this dark place and forgotten because they did something wrong and they did horrendous things. But this crazy Baptist guy said, you know what? They're worth it. We're going to go in there and we're going to disciple them. 20 years later, guess what happened in this prison? They have a seminary. A seminary, did you, not a cemetery. <laughs> Sometimes they can be the same thing, but they have a seminary. They are training pastors in the prison. They all have lifetime sentences. This prison is no longer the darkest place in Louisiana. It actually, they almost have stopped all violence in that jail or in that prison. And now what is really cool is they're taking these guys and some crazy Lutherans, which is very odd to say in the same sentence. Crazy Lutherans have said, we want that here in Texas because Texas has one of the largest prison populations in the world, second only to China. We need that in Texas. So they're opening up some doors to some of our worst prisons, and they're getting transfers from these guys who are in this Louisiana prison to come over and do the same thing here. Because they said, no matter what happened to you, no matter what stupid choice you made, no matter how evil you became, God says you're worth it. I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be that kind of people. People who can look at anyone and say, with God, there's all possibilities. And though the world has discounted you and maybe even thrown you away, we believe through Jesus there's a possibility for you because his gospel is pure. 
There's no add-on. There's no, well, Jesus is for you if you didn't murder. Jesus is for you if you didn't rape someone. Jesus is for you if you're not a pedophile. Jesus is for you if you look a certain way. Jesus is for you if you make so much money. Now, Jesus is for everyone. I promised that the sermon wouldn't be very long today because we're going to the beach. So we're going to keep moving. But I want us to be a church that we believe that it's by faith alone that you are saved. That's our message with everybody we engage with. Even the people that we pull back and we go, oh, I don't know if I want to talk with them. What would happen if you believe so much that Jesus lived in you that you could represent him in any place that you could step into that person's life and just welcome them into the kingdom. Just give them an invitation to come in. To come into your home, into your life. Verse 3. You guys are like, we're never getting through this chapter, but we will. It's going to move really fast right now. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the argument continues. Can't you almost get this picture? I've been in places like this where people are talking about there's been a healing taking place and there's some cool stuff that the Lord is doing in this person's life. A marriage has been saved. And there's a few people in the back going, I don't care. I don't care about that. All I care about is they haven't done this. And they usually, you'll see them in the back like this. And I can almost get the picture of the Pharisees kind of sitting back there going, I don't care what the Lord is doing right now. They're not circumcised. You know how easy it is to fall into that same shoes? I mean, we think we aren't, but it's so easy to get there. So easy to fall into the seat of judgment when you forget the gospel of Jesus. It's so easy to fall into the seat of judgment when you forget the gospel of Jesus. We don't want to be the Pharisees. We want to rejoice when we hear that the Lord is working, even when we don't understand it. Verse 6, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? 
We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I love the words of Peter. Peter, I think, is a guy that we can really, all of us, associate with because he's a screw-up. Yet Jesus uses him in powerful ways throughout his life. And the key thing that I see here is that in, this, in the midst of all these people and all this argument, people that are totally against what I know the apostles were like, why are we even having to talk about this? He calls them brothers. He reminds them of their identity that we're all in this together. The moment that you are in that seat of judgment, if you can step out and go, wait a minute, what Jesus has done in me is the same that he's done in Kevin. There is no difference. The same that he's done in Daryl. He is working in all of us. We're all on the equal platform. We've all been equal given equal opportunity to serve in his kingdom. Peter reminds them of the redemption plan. And if you, just to associate this with where this is coming from, this is where Peter has a dream. And he realizes that he is supposed to sit down at the same table and eat, and foods that had been declared unclean are now clean, which meaning that all people can be received into the kingdom of God. And through this dream, he's able to step out and say, no longer is this gospel just for the Jews, it's for the whole world. So he's reminding them that this is the plan. This is the plan from Jesus himself. Verse 12, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Better watch out, Levi, or you're going to be preaching. Because you're coming close to being right on up here. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it was written. Afterward, I'll return and restore the fallen house of David. I'll, I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who has made these things known so long ago. So this is James. James is the brother of Jesus. Through the whole life of Jesus, through his two years, two, three years of ministry, of Jesus' ministry, James thought he was ridiculous and didn't believe in him. James is now the leader of the church. Huge change in the life of his brother. And he says, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. You know, James wrote a book in the Bible. It's called James. It's kind of always easy. It's actually a book that Luther hated because he thought it was twisting the gospel. 
But James is one who reminds us that as the gospel starts in us, we begin to move and become someone different. So his book is all about what should the church begin to look like once Jesus is in us. What a huge statement from the brother of Jesus who didn't believe in him. You actually rejected his brother. He brings in the words of Amos so that the Jewish people who are there can go, this authority is not just something new, this is coming from ancient times. Verse 16, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord. This is what the Lord's mission has always been. It never changed. It started with the Jews so that it could be preached to the rest of the world. It starts with you so that we can go into the prison and preach to those who haven't seen the light, who have no hope. It starts with you so that you can go across the street to your neighbor who's looking pretty hopeless. It starts with you so you can go into the hospital when you're visiting a relative and see the person alongside of them who has no one visiting them and know that it starts with you. It starts with you and your own family, family members who maybe you go, they're so freaking annoying, I can't even spend 15 minutes with them. Can't stand them. Jesus is calling you to step in and go, they have eternal worth too. Even when you think it's impossible, with God, all things are possible. So may we walk out as people reminded of the words of Amos that this message is for the rest of humanity. It's not just for us. It's not just for who we want to give it to. It's for everyone that God puts us in the opportunity to give it to. Don't withhold it or you become a Pharisee standing in the back saying, not for them. Not unless they do this. Let God open up your arms. Help you to see with his eyes that everybody has worth and he wants everyone to be with him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that we took time to just focus on this morning, asking ourselves, should we stay or should we go? And we'll have that question whenever we're in the place of opportunity of sharing your gospel with someone. Is it time to move on and share with someone else or is it time to stay? As we think through where you need us to be, Lord, may we consult you first before we move. That's the only way we know whether we should stay or whether we should go. Lord, may we look at your words and hear your words Engage with your scripture that you gave us. Read the letters. Read the prophets so that we can hear your voice on a daily basis. Lord, we pray also that you would help us to walk in your ways so that we wouldn't go our own way, but we'd be in step with you. And we also pray that you would help us 
to have the courage to do your works, to not be scared that maybe you're asking us to heal someone, to not be scared when we're asked to pray with someone, to not be scared when you're asking us to step alongside someone that's so different from us, that the darkest place can be enlightened by your power. Lord, may we be used by you this week and until you'd call us home so that many, many, many people would experience your grace. In your name we pray, amen.